Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. So thank you for your honor. Uh, it's, it's a huge, uh, huge blessing. Um, I'd like to share with you a message that I've been talking about now for several weeks uh, better part of a month, and that is, I want to preach to you from the subject that the church is in good hands. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, and we'll get into the Word here in a moment. Um, I'd like to make our declaration uh, of faith that we make, and, and we confess this over ourselves every Sunday when we get up to preach. Um, you'll see it on your screen if you don't have it memorized, and if you're watching us online, you'll see it on your screen as well. Let's declare this out loud over ourselves today. Can we do that? Let's say it. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that that's true. Amen? Amen. Well, that made a funny sound. Last evening, for those who were able to be with us, oh, hold on, let me get my... I had to get my timer going there, sorry. Last evening, for those who were able to be with us, we had a wonderful time looking back over our shoulders and commemorating the goodness of God and celebrating all that has taken place since first launching this church back in 2013. And, and uh, this morning, I want to I preach to you from this title, having celebrated, I want to preach to you from this title that the church is in good hands. Uh, before I do that, can I pray over you? before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, I thank you that as we get into the word this morning, that your spirit speaks out of your word and reveals to us the nature of Christ Jesus, reveals to us who it is that we are called to be. Lord, I thank you that this morning, the light of your word shines and penetrates into the darkest parts of our hearts, revealing who you are. Thank you for your grace and your truth being delivered to us this morning. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you for eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Help us, oh God, to receive with humility, with excitement, with faith, with joy, and with your grace, the word that you desire to speak. We open our hearts to hear in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. So I'd like to thank you again for being with us today as... Uh, as we continue to share in this celebration together. And of course, thank you all, mentors, overseers, board members, all the people that are here for this significant weekend. Um, you're our honored guests today. Uh, this is a significant occasion. It's a significant weekend. And um, it feels extra significant because uh, 10 years is a long time. Um, but I'll tell you that it's very significant because of the reality that many church plants, when you look over the, the scope of things, many church plants don't make it. Um, in fact, I recently heard a prominent statistic that suggested that 80% of church plants don't make it. Uh, I heard another statistic that 90% of people who begin in ministry don't end in ministry. Nine out of 10 quit somewhere along the way. It's a challenging statistic. It's a challenging reality. But there's some who refute these statistics and refuse to be those statistics. Amen. 
I do think it's safe to say that many, if not most church plants fail, and they, and they do so within the first five years, kind of like a restaurant. If you're familiar with the life cycle of a restaurant, a lot of times they don't make it for the first five years. Why am I telling you this? Because the fact that Hope Church has lived and endured to see its first decade is a testament to the fact that number one, God is faithful. And number two, God has truly called us and empowered us to be here. If there was ever any question about the call of God and whether it was legitimate, 10 years don't lie, baby. Amen. We're called and we're set up to be here, not by the will of man, but because of the heart of God for Boone, North Carolina and for the surrounding regions that are close to here. I'm so honored to serve Jesus in Boone, which, by the way, is the greatest city in the universe, if you were wondering. Not the country, not the state, not the nation, not the world, the universe. I don't know if there are cities on other planets. I don't think there are, but if there are, Boone's better than you. I want to take just a second to to review our history for those who haven't heard it before and help you to understand why I believe that the church is in good hands. The church of Jesus Christ as a whole is in good hands, but this morning I'm especially talking about this church, and it is in good hands. For Brianne and I, the journey started back in Florida in 2008 when we first received the desire from God to move to Boone and plant this church. We pursued forward, leaving what was comfortable, and I mean comfortable. We were very comfortable in Florida. We had a dog. We had a beautiful townhome. We had very stable jobs. I was the associate pastor of the church we were involved in. It was great, and it was easy. But the Lord had other plans. We pursued forward, leaving what was comfortable with the phrase, strong families burning in our hearts. If you see it on on most of the stuff that's printed, if you go past the Hope Hub, you'll, you'll know that that's the first thing God ever said to us about this church, was the phrase, strong families. We're here to build strong families because Jesus loves strong families. We moved here in 2009 and found out quickly that Boone can be a challenging place to settle into, especially for me as an outsider. My wife was born and raised here, so for her it was coming home. For me, it was coming to a new place. And though I loved it, I found that it was challenging to adjust, uh, mostly because of my background. I was born in New York and I was raised in Florida, which represents the worst of both worlds to a mountaineer. I was... I was subsequently a Yankee and a Floridian at the same time, (laughs) mashed together. So it was hard. But we were believed, we believed we were called to be here, and we believed that God's church was going to be in good hands, so we we, we stuck with it. After one failed attempt to launch, I keep messing with my iPad here, I'm sorry. After one failed attempt to launch, and after some significant life events in our family, we were finally able to launch what was then High Country Christian Church on October 6, 2013. It's my mom's birthday at Blowing Rock Elementary School. Uh, earlier this week, we were texting with Joy and Perry, and, and Joy was just talking about those were the best days. Uh, they were ju- they were the best days. They they it, our, just our kids were just being born. You know, we didn't our families were much tinier than they are now because we just keep having kids. You know, so. Um, But those early days, they marked my life for eternity. They marked my life for eternity. Through many changes, many ups and downs, challenges, and more importantly, victories, we've endured by the grace of God. Amen. We've changed buildings and venues more than once. You heard about that last night. 
We've had amazing times in the word of God and in the presence of God. We've seen miracles happen in front of our eyes. We've shared with families in the birth of their children and watched those children grow. We've celebrated life and we've grieved together as people have passed on into eternity and have graduated. We've seen people be launched into their callings and sent around the country and sent around the world. And we've even met a few weirdos along the way too. <laughs> That's awesome. Amen. That's great. That's so great. Oh, praise God for the weirdos. Amen. I love it. Amen. In 2019, the Lord began to speak to us about renaming and relaunching this church. And we began to pray and ask questions and, and slowly move in that direction. And towards the end of the year 2019, the God spoke to my heart a very significant word. I didn't realize how significant it was at that time. In fact, I was standing right over there, and the Lord spoke to my heart. We were in a time of worship, and he said, a transformation of life in the coming year. A transformation of life in the coming year. We took that as our vision, and we said, okay, we're going to run forward. Uh, I don't think we even realized how much life would transform in the year 2020, but it absolutely did. Uncle Phil, I don't think we had a pandemic pastoral class in Bible college <laughs> that I can remember. Uh, I didn't have training on that. But I did, thankfully, have lots of instruction on how to hear from God and how to follow his voice and how to stay true to the word. And uh, so at the beginning of 2021, January 2021, we, we, we renamed as Hope Church and right in the middle of lockdown and COVIDs and masks and all that kind of jazz. And um, as far as church growth strategy is concerned, I'm not sure that was the best timing, but it was God's timing. And our identity shifted from explaining where we are. I remember my dad told me this on the phone. Our identity shifted from being high country Christian church, which explained where we were, to being hope church, which explains who we were. We're here to bring hope, the hope of Jesus, which the Bible says is the anchor of our soul. In the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, says God, that, that the Jesus Christ is the anchor. He's the hope that is the anchor of our soul. And so we became Hope Church, and we've regained since then all the momentum that was lost during 20 and 21, and, and I'm so proud to report that we've, we're a healthy church, and we're strong, and we're growing, and we're filled with a bunch of world changers. I, I'm looking at a bunch of world-changing people who are called by God. As one of my dear friends and mentors has said to me, we do not fear the future, we pioneer the future. We do not fear the future, we pioneer the future. And today, if yesterday was all about celebration and looking back, today is about celebration in looking forward. We're here to pioneer the future, and I can tell you something for sure. The church is in good hands. Can you say that out loud with me? Can you say the church is in good hands? Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 if you have your Bible. I'm not going to preach for a terribly long time, maybe just a semi-terribly long time. I only have 19 pages of notes, so we should go through pretty quickly. Matthew chapter 16. Now, I'm going to read for you a conversation that's happening here between Jesus and the disciples. I like to imagine that this happened around a fire in the evening. I don't know that that's Bible, but in my mind, that's how I imagine this picture to go. So I invite you to imagine how this conversation may have looked between Jesus and his 12 disciples. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, and I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation this morning. 
Matthew 16, 13, and it reads this way. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah and the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. What a huge passage. What a huge passage. If you've been with us for the past five weeks, you've heard me teach on a series titled Why, where we've been examining why it is that we believe what we believe. Well, last week's message was called Why Church or Why the Church. And so we talked a little bit about the church. And, and I, even, I even referenced and just briefly mentioned this passage. Uh, and, and I just love the way the Lord pieces everything together because uh, here we are uh, talking about this passage. Uh, Denise is from her prophecy and from her prophetic word has written down about that packet, passage. Uh, it linked up with what Sean said from the offering and uh, with what Pastor Don was saying in, in what he had to share. Uh, none of this was planned. I, I just think you need to know that the Holy Spirit's lots smarter than all of us combined. And so he just knows what he's doing and God's moving here this morning. But what a big passage. We talked last week about the word church and it's the Greek word ekklesia. I talked to you about that. This is the first time that it's ever talked about in scripture. This is the first moment the word ekklesia appears in the Bible. And Jesus, we need to know this, Jesus is introducing us to the, for the very first time to his church. He's introducing and unpacking for us for the very first time his idea of the church. You need to remember that the church was Jesus' idea. I, I, I'm telling you, there are folks throughout the world that have been injured and hurt and struggle uh, with church because church has done them wrong, or I should say people within the church have hurt them. Authority has been abused. There are so many different reasons that counterfeits exist, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the one who came up with the church. It was his idea, and it's his project, and he is building his church. It's not our church. It's his church, and I can tell you for certain it's in good hands, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus. So if you would allow me to go verse by verse and just unpack a few things. Everybody say this out loud together. The church is in good hands. I may make you say that one or two more times before we're all done. Verse 13 and 14, I want to start here and just pick these apart for a moment. Where I'm getting to is verse 17 and 18. Those are the, those are the money verses this morning. But uh, I got to do a little bit of context here for you, okay? Verse 13, Jesus asks a very interesting question. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? One of the first things I notice is the mass confusion in their answer. I mean, the disciples are like, nobody knows who you are, Jesus. It's mass confusion in these streets. People don't know. Some think you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Some think you're a different prophet. Some think you're John the Baptist. 
That's really weird. John the Baptist was alive at the time that this was written. So it's like, okay. Some think, you, some think you're Elijah. There was mass confusion in what they had to answer, but it, it highlights for, something, for us a reality of something, and that is that those who have never encountered Jesus, those who have never had a personal revelation of who Jesus is, will always have a misunderstanding of who he really is. If you haven't encountered the risen Lord, you know Paul was, was, was famous for persecuting the church until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had a personal and, and, and intentional interaction with the Lord Jesus, and that forever changed his impression of who Jesus was. You see, when you see Jesus, you get changed. When you see Jesus for who he is, you get changed. He doesn't change. You, your knowledge of him, your revelation, your understanding of him changes. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage states of the culture of that time. It's, he says that they had a high opinion of him, yet not high enough. They had a high opinion of Jesus, but not high enough. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that in, in my time on this earth, I recognize that, that society is exactly the same way today. That culture recognizes Jesus as holy, but not quite the Messiah. Oh, Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. He was a great moral teacher. But I'm not ready to make him Lord yet. I don't know that I recognize him as the way, the truth, the life, the exclusive answer to God's problem with sin. I'm here to tell you the world still thinks this way. And, and, and here's what jumps out at me about this. If this critique on culture that I just shared with you is not enough to help us to understand what our calling is, then I don't know what will. If the fact that the world doesn't know who Jesus really is doesn't explain to us what our motivation should be in taking the gospel into this world, I don't know what's going to do the trick. There's a reason Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? Because the gospel reveals the true nature of Jesus as the son of the living God, the Lord of creation, and the king of glory. And notice how, he, notice, notice how Jesus frames this whole thing. He says, who do people say that I am? Did you notice he didn't say, who do the Pharisees say that I am? Who do the Sadducees and the religious leaders say that I am? He didn't ask that question. You want to know why? Or why I believe he asked that question. He says, who, who does the common man say that I am? Because I believe that whenever God wants to do a move in the earth, he finds some common people who are hungry enough to trust him. Some average, everyday float folks like you and me who just are passionate about him and are willing to sacrifice all for the call and pray till something happens. And then he begins to use people like that. Who do people say that I am? Who does, who does the common man say that I am? And then he turns in verse 15 and 16 and he says, and who do you say that I am? Now Peter's answer is flawless theology. It is flawless doctrine. You are the Christ. I love the, I love the old King James. Thou art the Christ. Probably if you say it with an English accent, it's even more dramatic. Thou art the Christ, <laughs> son of the living God. 
Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Did you ever watch Jesus of Nazareth, the movie back in the 80s? They all had British accents. I don't know what that's all about. It's true, though. He says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Notice, there's no mystery here. There's no ambiguity in his answer. This is perfect and flawless theology. This is, uh, this is dynamite doctrine. Uh, th- this is a great point for me to, to, to insert this quote from C.S. Lewis, which C.S. Lewis is my favorite author, uh, and he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he lambastes culture with this quote. I want to read it to you. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the very foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that is the one thing we must not say. Lewis says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. According to Lewis, anything less than Jesus being Lord is patronizing nonsense. And see, I love this point in the text. I love this point in the text because it becomes the foundation for everything that Jesus is getting ready to unpack about his church. In other words, you don't get to the part about the church until you've come through the part about Jesus being the Lord of the church. You don't, get to, you don't get to on this rock, I'll build my church until you get to, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's so important because we need to make no mistake, if the revelation of Jesus as the Christ and as the Savior, if we take that out of the institution of the church, we are left with a feeble and a lifeless association, one that is more akin to Saturday morning bingo games and public TV telethons, polished in our ability to entertain, but utterly lacking in the supernatural power that is required to transform a life. You take Jesus out of church, you don't have nothing but a bingo game. You don't have nothing but a fun, a fun opportunity for us to hang around and sing some songs. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes people stink, and I'd rather just go golfing or stay home. I mean, if it's not for Jesus, I don't want any part of it. So how does Jesus now respond to Peter's perfect theology? Verse 17 and 18, this is, this is where we're trying to get to today. Y'all still with me this morning? All right. You know I love you, don't you? How does the son of the living God respond to Peter's claim? First of all, he recognizes that it was the father's revelation to Peter. And he introduces us for the first time to this holy organism called the church. And he says these words, and this is, this is, this is the meat of it for me. He says, on this rock... I will build my church. I will build my church. The church is in good hands. Why? Because Jesus said, 
I will build my church. Aren't you glad that Jesus has taken the responsibility of building his church? That it's not us here just trying to figure out what is the right combination of programming to, to, to grow a build or, and build a great organization. I'm so glad that that's not why we're in this. Amen. Listen to how Jesus spells this out for us very specifically. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down these next few things. He spells this out for us in very simple terms. He says, I will build my church. Let's let's look at the first two words. I will. I will. The church is the personal and willful mission of Jesus himself. I will build my church. It's his personal and willful, intentional mission. I've said this statement for about 15 years now, and I've taken some flack for it over the years, but I stand by it. The church is the most important thing on God's agenda. The local church is the most important thing on God's agenda. Some people say, I don't know about that. Well, it's okay. You're wrong. The church is the most... (laughs) important thing on God's agenda. Why do I recognize that? Because of Jesus's language here. I will build my church. Now look, I'm not, I have nothing wrong with world missions and, and the call to evangelism. All of that is of utter and supreme importance. Guess where it happens? Out of the context of the local church. When Sean and I went to Bible college, where's Sean? Where did you go? Where's always back to? When Sean and I went to Bible college, we went to a Bible college that was part of our local church. You see, the church is not a man-made idea. The church is the personal and intentional desire of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Because of that reason, the church is in good hands. He goes on to say, I will build my church. Why is that significant? The church has his direct involvement and his divine design. The church has his direct involvement and his divine design. Anybody ever build anything before? Did you ever do it without your hands? Of course not. How do you build something? You get some tools, you get some materials, you you, you use your hands to put it all together. Jesus is intimately involved in the building of his church, and it's according to his divine design. He's piecing us together. Like a master watchmaker piecing together the intricacies of a beautiful and expensive watch. Putting every little cog, every little spring, every little lever and piece in just the right order so that the whole thing begins to turn and make motion the way that it's supposed to. God, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that he has brought all of us together and that the whole body of Christ is held together by that which every joining, every relationship in the kingdom is is, is holding the body together. Jesus has pieced us together in such a perfect way that the church becomes the thing that begins to flourish in his sight. He's building his church, and because of that, the church is in good hands. He goes on to say, I will build my church. There's too many men 
and women throughout the ages that have tried to build their church. There's too many men that have taken the words of Jesus and assigned it to themselves and said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to build my thing. You come be a part of my thing. I don't want to be a part of your thing. I want to be a part of the Jesus thing. Amen. I want to be a part of what he is building in the earth. I read you this quote, and I'll read it again to you. I read this last week in our, in our sermon on why church. This comes from that, that really thick book that I told you that I brought with me on my honeymoon, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. Can you believe I brought a textbook with me on my honeymoon? Gracie said, yes, okay. You're cut off. That's it. I'm just kidding. No, of course I brought a textbook with me on my, church, on my uh, honeymoon. My favorite class in Bible college was Greek. So textbooks it is. This, this is what Guy Duffield says about this passage. He says, when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I will build my church. He placed emphasis, not on the word church, but on the word my. The church is unique, not because it is called a church, but because it is the assembly of believers, watch this, who belong to Jesus, who constitute his body. We are his holy possession. We are this assembling and gathering people that are the holy possession of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not my church, it's his church. It's not your church, it's his church. And for that reason, the church is in good hands. Because it is Jesus who who is building because we are in his hands, guess what? He goes on to say that the powers of hell will not conquer the church that he is building. Though the powers of hell may conquer the church that someone else is building, the the powers of hell have no defense against the church that Jesus is building. The gates of hell have no ability to resist the onslaught of the kingdom of God when it is walking by faith as sons and daughters of the living God proclaiming the gospel in this earth. The devil's got no defense against that. The church is in good hands. Why? Because it's in Jesus' hands. Now, now we get to verse 19 and Jesus lands the plane in a very unique way. Are y'all still with me? He turns a corner here in his language. He turns a corner here in what he's saying. And he says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that have to do with building a church? He was just talking about building a church. And now all of a sudden he's saying, I'm going to give you some keys to something called the kingdom of heaven. What does that have to do with the church? Well, everything. What does Jesus mean when he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What is he emphasizing here? I actually don't believe that it's a complicated answer. I've heard a lot of teaching on this passage. I grew up in a pastor's home. I went to Bible college. I've been to church every Sunday for every day of, every day of my life almost. Every week. I've, I've never missed a Sunday, you know, except when I went to Italy. So it, it, it's like, I, I've just been in church my whole life. I've heard countless sermons about this. And I've heard lots of complicated answers about the keys to the kingdom. Okay. So so what is Jesus trying to emphasize for us here in the last few minutes? He says he's going to give us the keys to the kingdom. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you about a story in my life that happened when I was 19. 
And it was when my love affair of Porsche 911s began. Now, if you're wondering, the word Porsche is a two-syllable word. It's not Porsche. If you say Porsche in front of me, I'm going to correct you. I just need you to, I just need you to understand that, okay? I was 19 years old. I was working for a gentleman by the name of Tony Fiaco. Half the two front rows know that name. Um, he's a family friend. He's gone on home to be with Jesus now. But he had a business in, in Sarasota, Florida, and I had a, I had a job working for him. And, and we were leaving the one office to go to the other office. And I was leaving with him, and my dad was there that day. And, and the three of us came out of the building, and he said, uh, he said I'm going to ride with your dad to the office. And he tossed me the keys to his Porsche 911. It was a Carrera 4. It was a 993 body style. It was painted in black. And it, had the, it was the last year that they did the air cool model. And it was, oh, God, it was just such an amazing experience. Oh, I love that car so much. That was the day my love affair with Porsche began. But I tell you that, why? Because I find it so interesting that Jesus, after he's talking about this grand design that he is the architect of, the, the author and the finisher of. You know, Jesus is both the architect and the, and the finish carpenter of the church. He, he, he started it. He dreamed it. He, he, he mapped it all out. He laid it all out. And he has been building it since, since day one. And I find it interesting that in his description of what that looks like, he's building this church. And then right as he gets to the end of it, it's like he tosses the keys to the church. You see, we, we think of, of, of keys, or at least I do, and I've heard this preached a lot, and it's not wrong. It's just one way to look at it. We think of keys as principles, right? Like, what are, the, what are the keys to having a great marriage? What are the keys to having a this, to having a that, to having the other? We think of keys in terms of principles, and that's not a wrong thing to do. I do believe the kingdom of God operates according to principles. But if you ask any five-year-old what a key does, they'll tell you it opens something. It gives you invitation and access into something. Why does Jesus tell us that he's going to give us the keys to the kingdom of heaven? It's because he's offering to us an invitation and providing to us access into what he is building. He just spent four verses telling us he was going to build the church and hell itself wouldn't be able to stop it. And then he turns around and says, here you go. Here's the keys. Jesus is, he's, he's saying something here. He's saying, guys, psst, disciples, lean in. I'm building the church. Let me let you in on something. I'm giving you the keys. I'm letting you in. I'm giving you access. I'm sharing responsibility with you. This is the greatest delegation move of any leader in the history of the universe. Jesus says, I am building something that is going to be the expression of the kingdom of heaven in this earth. And guess what? I'm giving you access. I am entrusting you with what I am building. I'm building this thing called the church and I'm giving you the keys. The conclusion is this. The church is in good hands. Why? Because it's in Jesus' hands. Why else? Because it's in our hands. 
Because he's given it to you. And he's given it to me. He's invited us to be stewards of that which he is building. He's given the certificate of occupancy for the church has been signed. The keys have been turned over. We're at the closing table with Jesus when we say yes to his calling. And he goes, here you go. I'm giving you the keys. He's placed his prized possession into our hands. What access? What responsibility? What joy we have been given to share in what he is building. I told you about the Porsche, but I didn't tell you this part. It was a great day. One I'll remember forever. When we pulled out of the parking lot, my dad and Tony are in, in dad's car, and they're, they're kind of out in front of us, and me being a good son and a, and a wise employee just, you know, followed. Very gently, very gingerly, very carefully. I can't bang up the boss's car, y'all. I can't afford to hit a curb. You understand? So I drove that car cautiously. Very slowly. Why? Because I was, I was stewarding something that belonged to another. And then something happened. We got on the highway. <laughs> we got on the interstate, baby. And I was a dumb 19-year-old. But you know what? By the time we merged into traffic on the interstate, and I remember looking and seeing nothing in front of me and just seeing, if you go to Sarasota now, it's packed with cars and you don't, it, this, this happened at a very particular time when it was empty and I pulled onto the interstate and there was nothing in front of me but road and I knew what I had. <laughs> I knew what I was sitting on top of and I floored it. Now. <laughs> I beat them to the other office by a solid 15 minutes. <laughs> Tony was nervous by the time we got, they got there. Why do I tell you that? Because here's the deal. We've been at this for 10 years now. And the church is in good hands. And the church has been in good hands this whole time. And, and it's still in good hands because it's in the hands of Jesus. And it's also in your hands. And it's also in my hands. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that in the past 10 years, there have been seasons and times and moments when I've pastored very cautiously. When I've pastored by, by taking those turns real nice and slow. Making sure I figured out how this thing actually works. How does it drive? How does it turn? Where's its balance points? What, what does the brakes feel like? All the stuff you think of subconsciously when you're driving a car. I did it so cautiously. Cautiously, but when I got out onto the highway, I needed to floor that thing. And I'm here to tell you, it's 10 years in, and I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm a full-time pastor now. I'm 40 years old. I got kids that are growing. I've got a wife that supports me and loves me, and I am ready to floor it. I'm ready to floor it. It's time to get on with some vision that's been lying dormant in our hearts. It's time to move forward. What about the next 10 years, about the next 20 years, about the next 30 years? Can I tell you about those? Y'all want to hear about the next 10 years? I'm putting a goal in front of us this morning. I'm putting a goal and I'm setting a standard in front of us this morning. I began uh, just within the last six months 
to really talk to the Lord and to ask God and to probe within my own heart about how, how we as a church can become an organization that is committed to winning people to Jesus. It's the great commission and it's great for a reason. It's significant because God wants us to preach the gospel, to see souls saved, to see the kingdom multiplied. It's not about church growth. It's about people not going to hell and going to heaven instead. My, my good friend, Pastor Norm Dubois, who pastors a great church down in Florida, he's, he's got a, a plaque on his wall in his office that reads these words. As long as heaven and hell are realities, church growth is not an option. Long as heaven and hell are a reality, what we do with the gospel we've been given is not optional. So I began to ask the Lord, what do I do with that? Lord, give me something to believe you for. And so I was talking with my buddy Josh Roberts, who's pastoring a great church up in, in the Boston area. And I said, man, I said, y'all been pushed, like pushing the pedal down on the gas to, to, uh, to win people to Jesus. He said, oh yeah. He said, we had 20 decisions for Christ this past Sunday. I said, Wow. I said, all right, Lord, I want a number. I want a goal. I want something to believe you for. Give me something to attach my faith to. It's not about numbers. It's about every number representing a human being that doesn't go to hell forever. And so I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to start to believe you for 10 people per month in our church to get saved. I was like, we can do that. That's 2.5 people. That's two and a half people every Sunday. I don't know if any of you have half a friend, but you can bring your half a friend and they can get saved. It'd be super easy, okay? Maybe they're like, they've been to church for a while, so they're half saved, you know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Y'all put up with my silly jokes. I love it. I'm believing for 10 people per month to get saved. Do you know what will happen at the end of 10 years? 1,200 new people will have come into the kingdom as a result of this church. I'm setting for us as a goal, a minimum of 1,200 souls to be saved in the next 10 years at this altar. Let's have some people introduced to Jesus, to King Jesus, and come out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. We are sharpening our focus. We are and will carve away programs and activities and things we do that don't support God's vision for strong families, for tr transformation and for the development of our community. Those three things that the Lord just nestled in our hearts from the day one about what this church would be, strong families, transformation by the presence and power of God, and the development of community within the church where people learn to live together as family and love one another. It's the book of Acts is what it is. It's the book of Acts in three bullet points. We've come to the place where, where we're gonna sharpen our, our sword here and sharpen our focus and if, it, if it's not contributing to one of those three things, we don't have time. God gave us three things to focus on. Well, pastor, don't you, don't you have a, uh, you know, a, a shofar ministry uh, for, uh, you know, blowing shofars over Jerusalem? No, I don't, because that's not one of those three things. I have nothing wrong with shofars or Jerusalem, okay? But, but these, these are the three things God called us to. You know who's real excited about this? Vanessa. She loves throwing stuff out. It's a, she, lo she loves axing things. It's fantastic. I'm with you, Mama V. Let's go get it. We're sharpening our focus, and we will double down on the activities and the programs that do support God's vision. It's his vision for this house. 
That's going to mean that we will spend more money, we already are, spending more money and allocating more resources, listen, to develop kids, to develop students, to develop young adults, and to develop marriages like never before. Kids, students, young adults, and marriages like never before. Why? Because Jesus loves strong families. We will end this one gets me excited. You're going to love this one, Pastor Ron. We will develop intentionally more leaders in this next year than we've developed in the past 10 years combined. We're already on track to do it. Beginning in January 2024, Pope Church will no longer have volunteers. You're like, what? Does that mean everybody's getting paid? No. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll set up a chair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Beginning in January, no, this is what this means. Beginning in January 2024, we'll no longer have volunteers. We will have hope dealers. We will have hope dealers. Our legacy teams and all of the verbiage that surrounds all that is going away. If you want to thank somebody for this, thank Vanessa Hensley for it because this was her idea. We will have hope dealers instead of volunteers. Why? What does that mean? That means that if you're working on guest services team and you see somebody come in the door that's downcast because the devil's been working, working on them all week long, you don't have to wait for Pastor Josh to pray for them at the end of the service. You have been deputized to be a dealer and distributor of hope right on the spot and let the love of Jesus pour out of you so that you can become the hands and feet of Jesus no matter where you're serving. If you're pouring coffee, pour coffee and put a little hope in that thing and give it to somebody that needs it. You're deputized to to take the life of Jesus that's in you and pour out. We're not interested in volunteers. We're interested in people who want to deal in hope. In the next five to ten years, we will expand ministry beyond this location. How are we going to do that, Pastor? A whole lot of different ways. Through media, through taking hope and healing on the road. How many of you have been to a hope and healing night in our church? Look at all these hands. If you've been to a hope and healing service, you know what it's like when the power of God just invades and heaven touches earth and we get caught right in the middle of it. We take hope and healing on the road. I believe that in the years to come, the next five, ten years, we, we may plant another campus or multiple campuses. We may launch, and I'm believing God to launch pastors into other places in the the surrounding regions. Western North Carolina, the Piedmont, Eastern Kentucky, Northern Virginia need what is happening in Boone to spread. I believe God's mobilizing us in the next five to ten years to take ministry beyond this location. And I can tell you, I don't know what it's all going to look like yet, so don't ask me. But I'll let you know as soon as the Lord keeps talking to me about it. But it's building and it's burning and it's growing in me the same way it did back in 2008 in Fort Myers, Florida when I was called to come here. In 2024, where's Angel? Angel, are you in here? Angel, in 2024, we will begin the process of launching Spanish ministry to take what we're doing and making it accessible to our brothers and sisters in the Hispanic community. The, the, The Hispanic community in our church is growing 
And there's people who need to hear that Jesus is, is the Savior in Espanol. Okay? We're going to do it. And by God's grace, I'm believing sooner rather than later, we're going to make our home in a permanent facility. Amen? This is where we're going. Pastor Josh, what's it all look like? I don't know. Stick around and find out. Amen? God's going to do it. Not because we don't know what we're doing, but because we're just, we're just listening. We're, we're, we're HBO. Hear, believe, and obey. Hear, believe, and obey. We're going to hear what he says. We're going to believe it, and we're going to just endeavor to do it. Amen. Now, earlier this week, I felt the Lord speak this to my heart, and I feel compelled to share it with you. He said these words to me, and I know a lot of pastors use the God told me card. They like to play that a lot, and I do that, but I do it very with fear and much trembling because it's, it's a heavy thing to carry the word of the Lord to a generation, or I should say it's a serious thing. So I say this seriously, but I believe God spoke this to my heart this week. He said, I'm raising up leaders who have enough humility to honor the past, enough conviction to seize the present, and enough faith to pioneer, pioneer the future. I'm raising up leaders who have enough humility to honor the past, enough conviction to seize the present, and enough faith to pioneer the future. God is looking for those who are ready to lead rather than follow. And I don't know about you, I want to be, I want to be in that number of people. Amen. Can you stand up on your feet this morning? As we close, I want to ask you to take a moment and ask the Lord how you fit into this vision. Maybe God's calling you to partner with this church through prayer, through resources. Maybe you're watching us online and you're, or you're listening somewhere and you don't, you don't live here, but you want to be involved. There's room for you. Ask the Lord. If I could just have everybody just not move around for a second. If y'all could just be still and let's honor this moment real quick. I want you to ask the Lord how you fit into this vision. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to be involved, but I'm not involved yet, just reach out to us this week. Contact the office. We'll get you plugged in. There's places that you can get plugged into. But I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how do I fit into this vision? What have you called me to do? How can I, how can I get involved in your purpose and help move it forward? Lord, you've tossed me the keys. Show me how to drive. I want to close by praying over you. I appreciate that you've allowed me to go a little over my time. But I want to pray over you this morning. And I'm, I'm believing that God's going to do something special in your heart. Father, I thank you for every person who's here. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.